Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. That is just so true. Thank you, Jim. Hello, welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show, always bringing you the finest in indie pop and beyond. Well, not necessarily beyond, just mostly indie pop, really. But anyway, as you know, we do love a special guest. And this week is going to be the turn of the Swedish indie pop band. Yes, the one and only Easy. Because I spoke to Johan Homland very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, all that sort of groovy stuff. Now, I do apologise if I didn't pronounce his name completely correctly. I did get a lesson at the end, and it's definitely not Homeland, but uh, Homeland. That's what I'm going for, Johan, though. That's true, he says. I'm stumbling. Anyway, look, this is the interview, and uh, after several minutes babbling about life, as you do, um, this is the beginning, where I was talking about the importance of British bands touring Europe, having spoke to people like uh, Fish, from Marillion, uh, ex-Marillion, and also the guy from The Godfathers, indeed. And anyway, this was Johan's response. Johan, it's over to you. Save this interview, if you can. Yeah, yeah of course, I can understand that. I, I, our main, we love England, and we went to London to record a new album uh, in October. Uh, so... Uh, musically, we don't care that much about Germany these days. I'm, I'm into crowd rock and so on as well, but no one in Germany cares about that except for young kids with Neu t-shirts and so. But uh, uh, they have money in Germany and it's good for the music and they buy records and that they don't care about age share. That's interesting. Okay. Sweden, Sweden is, is a bit like you have to be young. You know, right. yes. cool and old people are boring. But in Germany, they don't care. The biggest German artists, they are really, really old. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, yes. Well, I know I the one person I, well, there's several I used to love is Lemmy from Motorhead. And he used, yeah. to, he used to always say, I think their last ever concert was a, in Germany in um, December uh, 2016, I think he died about three weeks later. Yeah, but he, yeah. you know, he said the German audience just kept the band going when no one else wanted them to know them. So I think they, they like their rock and roll, actually. Yeah, I, I met Lemmy as well a couple of times. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had a Swedish drummer for a long time as well. From Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, so, he was. Mickey the, D. Yeah. Mickey D, That's, yes. Because was, yeah. was he in sack? And, or one of those other bands that um... yeah, he played with different bands, but he was in Motorhead for 15, 17, 18 years or so, or maybe more. Yes, colossal yeah. looking guy. I remember yeah. he is huge, yeah. he was huge. Yeah, so I can't remember because he, he went off and was drumming with other, another heavy metal band now, which yeah. I'm, I'm not that surprised about. He, I think, he kept himself very fit actually. I think that was, yeah, that yeah, was... he works out every week. I've got a friend, he, he is at He's at the same gym as him in Gothenburg. So. Ah, okay, that's interesting. Yes, because because um, just going back to to your band, because because most, <laughs> m- m- most of the bands I've interviewed, obviously, are from that kind of golden period of the sort of eighties indie world, and indie pop I put down between the world years of eighty three to eighty seven, which is basically the years of the Smiths, um, yeah. and and during that period there was a huge amount of music that sort of came out. So. 
you know, and there was a lot of you know interest in little record labels that also appeared, you know, indie labels, obviously, the most obvious being people like, you know, Rough Trade and Moot Records. But there was there was a lot of other ones like 53rd and 3rd Records and Subway Meat Records in Bristol and Sarah Records also from sort of Bristol land. So well, what was your sort of own musical journey? I just wondered what sort of music you were listening to as a teen as you were sort of growing up. Oh, uh, we loved that scene when we started out the years before we started Easy. Uh, we were sitting in Jönköping, our hometown, and listening to all these seven-inch records from Creation and factoring everything. We we had a what, what she should say a ans, ans, encyclopedic knowledge of the British music, right? From in the labels, but. Uh, in the beginning, we listened to, you know, all the basic stuff like uh, Beatles and Thin Lizzy and so on, rock and roll, pop, everything. But then we uh, started reading Enemy, Melody Maker, all the the British music papers were brilliant in the 80s, I think. Yes, they were. Because when I, because to not give too much away, but I was born in the mid 60s. So, yes, I'm about 55. Ish. Yeah. And so when I was growing up, the one thing that we had in, in the UK was Top of the Pops. And then we had the charts which were released on a Sunday evening that we used to listen to with great excitement. Because then in those days, the charts, you know, things didn't move that quickly. You know, they would, you know, a record would go in at number sort of 40 and then spend weeks slowly going down to number 39. But, you know, it was almost an event on a Sunday evening, knowing what, you know, where that record slowly went. And and once it started going back up the charts, you know, it was kind of only one way traffic. But Top of the Pops on a Thursday night was really important. And, and at that time, I suppose I can remember the early years of people like Sweet and that glam rock scene and then sort of people a bit like T-Rex as well. But then it was David Bowie sort of 75 and Space Oddity. That that was my first single. And then a f- that first album was Changes. So what were your kind of earliest memories of uh, sort of pop music? Uh, it, it's almost the same. I think my first 70s single was The Sweet. Uh, the f- some of the first ones, the not so good ones like Coco and so on, but later on Ballroom Blitz and then T Rex as well. They were quite big in Sweden. They played in Göteborg, I know, and, and uh, later on Kiss as well. My mother's cousin lived in the US, so she sent me loads of Kiss records, and I, I was a member of the Kiss Army. <laughs> <laughs> and our guitar player loved Status Quo and Thin Lizzy, and Thin Lizzy also became one of our favorite acts. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but that was when we were young. The Beatles as well. Later on, the Beatles came in, and Bowie as well. But uh, when I started really, really getting into music, it's, it was more like the early '80s, around '80, 80, '81. And uh, when Factory Records was big, Mute, all, all the Manchester bands, we love them all, and uh, still do actually. And then, but when we heard the creation, early creation singles, we understood that maybe we could do something like this ourselves. It wasn't that musically complicated. The band, the bands looked a bit like us as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Julian Cope style of uh, hairdo and so on. So uh, something something suddenly hit hit our uh, our Swedish minds, and we started to to read uh, 
anime, the anime and uh, melody maker every week, and yes. we learn. We quickly adapted to this music scene. And were you aware of people like John Peel? Because 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 what I sort of realised from doing these interviews that you know there was these great gatekeepers. You know, you had the music press, and and the NME I think had a circulation of something. It seems unbelievable, so it might be wrong, but it was something like hundred thousand. Whether that's yeah. true, oh. and, and 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 then you had sort of melody maker, and there was another one, sounds and record mirror, which um, I wasn't so familiar with those last two. But John Peel, again, though at the time it didn't, you know, I'd listened to it. I didn't know anybody else did, but mainly because I grew up in the countryside, so he didn't have many friends. But I used to record his show every well mo <laughs> most most nights on my trusty TDK D ninety cassette. You know, I put the cassette in, record it, and then try to listen to it a few times because all the all the music was new so that was quite hard to digest and also some of it could be quite tricky you know I mean tricky as in like god that's a bit you know it wasn't like yeah. easy easy pop it was quite kind of challenging but then you kind of grew to like it so so John Peel was kind of this essential listening you know listen to really so I don't were you kind of aware of him on your radar yeah, yeah, of course. He was he, he was like a guy from outer space space for us. I think I remember sitting in in a girlfriend's down in a girlfriend's cellar, and her father had his uh, big radio thing, and I tried to, to tune in the John Peel session, John Peel show, and uh, she asked me, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Ah, oh, it's John Peel late late evening. Ah, but you must go to bed. School tomorrow. No, no, no. I have to, to listen to John Peel. I tried to record it on a tape, but the, the sound was always so crap, but it was like some uh, mystery session for me, I think. Yes. So, well, well yeah. I can remember sort of, you know, because obviously for us in that period and that early 80s, I mean, music, and this is quite simplified, you know, a lot of things were quite split. You know, you had the mainstream charts, which were like, you know, I don't know, Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, you had that Trevor Horn sound, you know, that was really that production sound of the 80s, you know, Tina Turner, Dire Straits, which I might have just mentioned. But, you know, that really, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, ABC. And then you had all these other bands, you know, all the indie bands, which were quite scratchy, not scratchy sound, but they were much more... I don't know, like the Smiths, June Brides, you know, all that indie stuff, which had a very different quality than the stuff that that Trevor Horn quality that, you know, people like David Bowie's album started to sort of have that production sound and, you know, Robert Plant, you know, those other artists like Rod Stewart, who had been around in the 60s and 70s, tried to sort of jump on that kind of bandwagon and now they you know obviously realize that that work wasn't very good and some of them have re had it engineered or reproduced and had that drum sound taken out so I so with us you know there was definitely an alternative scene you know and it was it was easy being alternative in those it felt like it plus yeah. plus there was a lot of unemployment at that stage so there's a lot of bands you know like there wasn't much on there wasn't didn't feel like opportunity there so a lot of bands went unemployed or you know they used to claim the job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance and that kind of gave them a couple of years to be in a band almost full time because there wasn't much much else going on you know and do that thing that you do when you're in your teens so so that was where a lot of bands like I don't know Big Flame, Stump, Bogshed all started to appear and I think it was just out of certain kind of boredom and also sort of making a sound that yeah, just kind of amuse them more than anything, not having the ambition to one day be, you know, you two or simple minds. So I just wondered, I just wondered if you were also aware of that in the UK and also whether you had a scene like that in your own, you know, neighbourhood. 
it wasn't a scene. We were we were definitely the first ones. We took part in a, some kind of music uh, competition, me and my friends. And uh, first we were laughed off. We, we, we were really, really indie from the beginning. For us, it was serious business. And we 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 came to the final, uh, and but there we uh, it went really badly. We were thrown off stage. I remember our drummer was thrown off, and we had to leave leave this place. It, it was in shame because we were indie. No one understood it. It was all heavy metal, you know, like Europe and stuff like that. And we hated that that thing. But. Uh, for us, it, it became some kind of revenge. When we could travel to England really cheaply by boat from Gothenburg, and we could we could uh, always buy all the latest single releases and albums. And we went back to Sweden and checked them all and tried to copy all the songs and learned that way by by practicing hard. Uh, it was really serious business for us. Excellent. And, so, and I was going to yeah. say, what year was that when you were sort of um, those early formative years? Yes, yeah, some of us met around 85, 86, started playing, but we got together when we all moved to Gothenburg, Göteborg, the second largest city, and we had this rehearsal space in a really, really run-down part of the city called Gamlestan, and there were only motorcycle gangs and things there. We, we were rehearsing in a garage. We went there five times a week or so. It was really, really serious. We recorded everything on a tape recorder, analyzed everything. I think we were really bad in the beginning, but for a couple of years, we only played and played and rehearsed and rehearsed. We didn't have any gigs. No one wanted us, but it didn't matter, actually. We were a bit like the fall. We didn't care. So And, and we just went on. And then suddenly one day we met this guy in Göteborg. Uh, he was called Jürgen. He asked, do you want to record in my studio? And uh, he was a really strange guy. He used to sleep inside a pyramid and he was walking barefoot uh, all year round. And that's really hard in Sweden when it's cold in wintertime. But he wanted to record us. He was a producer and he let us rehearse in his studio. So we stayed there all night and went on and and we became quite good quickly. And uh, he was a great help to us actually yes. because he gave us this freedom. It was okay to be yourself and do your thing and so on. And that's when we really became a band. So yes. that's... So, was, so, so with your producer, was this a guy who was a producer as well as a kind of engineer to create, you know, to, to capture the sound that you were trying to make? Yeah, he, he recorded our first demos and it went really well. All, most of our first album were recorded as demos there, like Castle Train and Cloud Chamber and Horoscope and so on. And then we, we had this brilliant idea that we were going to send out a demo and we, we did, didn't know about any Swedish labels that could be interested in our kind of music. So we sent them all to England, to all the labels we've been talking about here. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and one of them was Mute and one was Blessed First. And uh, suddenly cool. Paul, cool. Paul Smith from Blessed First sent us a letter. We, we, were, we, we love your demo. We would like to see you live. And we had written that we were quite famous in Sweden. Excellent. We, we like, we like yeah. that kind of, uh, yeah, it's creative uh, 
Well, it's good to sometimes, you know, embellish. So, you know, just going slightly before, you know, the guy who was your engineer, you know, who who sleep slept in a sort of um, in, a, in a pyramid and had bare feet. I mean, was he like an old hippie that was still sort of hanging about searching for Woodstock and sort of talking about organ energy and stuff like that? Was he into sort of cosmic stuff? Yeah, he was into cosmic stuff. He still is. I I'm, I still have contact. I'm still in contact with him a little bit, and he, he still is into cosmic stuff. And he he lead, leads a different kind of life to most people. Yeah, but, well, I, I would imagine. I mean, even bare feet in this country is quite you know radical, but I could imagine in Sweden, impressive. Yeah. That's good. I like I like um you know it's nothing like a good old hippie to keep things rolling. And so yeah, so Blast First Records, which was at that time, was one of those ones that became because because being a bit nerdy just a bit um you know sort of one one was really obsessed with sort of record labels in in those kind of days because i know there was 4ad records as well and so even if you didn't like if you even if you didn't like the band you still pretended you liked the band because it was on 4ad yeah is that embarrassing to admit on there no nah, it's okay <laughs> we, we, we used to, we used john fryer as a producer for our first album and he was like the house engineer and producer at 4ad so yes we, well we i know and, and and it was just kind of and, and there was a lot of those indie labels that you know you were just very curious if they released something and looking back on it i suppose i didn't realize that some of them like sarah records were quite that small and probably 53rd and third and and all these kind of other obscure ones around Scotland you know they, it was just kind of a fascinating little kind of DIY scene really that had sort of sprung up but Blast First had bands on it that kind of were quite mind-blowing at the time weren't they you know like there was because because a couple of weeks ago I did an interview with a guy the guy who was head of David and again you know that was one of those yeah. people yeah. you know one of those bands that John Peel played and then you had obviously Big Stick, Big Flame all those kind of incredible late you know people and and sort of um but the butthole surface so so you must have been amazed and thrilled to suddenly get the call from paul yeah of course of course we we love the bands on those first the sonic youth and dinosaur had released albums there as well and but paul was a very interesting guy to work with because because he also gave us this freedom he had certain ideas and uh, we uh, and we were really thankful for his ideas because Maybe we said no to some of the stuff he wanted us to do, but afterwards we thought, well, that was really good. Why did we actually say no? So loads of stuff were happening around Paul all the time. Yes. And, was, uh, he, cannot... was he like a, was he a bit like a Sven Gali character? Did he have an aura when he walked into the room? Yeah, he was Paul Smith. And aura. I think you can say that we, we were born in Småland in Sweden, you know, with all this Astrid Lindgren people and ABBA and everyone's from Småland in Sweden. They're quite strange. Many people from our, our neighborhood is quite strange. So Paul was quite, quite normal to us, but he had always, yeah, he was a Swengali. I think he was the Androlog Oldham of the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Yes. He was, he, he, yeah, like we loved him because he was, he gave. He also gave us this freedom, and he believed in our music. I think we we were probably to him. We were probably the most commercial band they ever had on Blast First. Yeah, 
Yeah. Because because the one thing that I sort of picked up doing the doing this in, these interviews and show is that um, you know with that that um, just slightly going back you know that eighty three to eighty seven which was the kind of indie the you know the NME brought that cassette out the C eighty six cassette which had yeah. twenty two yeah. tracks and there was a definite vibe about it and when I spoke to a lot of those bands from that period you know like you know how did the band finish and there were several reasons but one of them was the kind of the changing kind of musical landscape you know people were beginning to probably tire tire slightly of the indie sound because it had been done you know and the smiths had captured it and the go-betweens and then you had the june brides and then all those other bands like the wolfhounds and yeah yeah no so we'd sort of done it and then the drug scene sort of changed and there was ecstasy so you had the dance scene so you had you know the stone roses happy mondays soup dragons and a guy called gerald we all loved because John Peel played him. But then you had from America, you had this kind of grunge scene. So so Blast's first records kind of managed to somehow surf through a period which could have been quite tricky because I know a lot of people just said, well, actually, we were just, you know, we brought a record out and no one was interested. In it. And at the time you think, but you were such a big band. You know, you were so important a couple of years before and it was like things changed and, and people just had dropped us. You know, even the fans were dropping us, really. So... So you must have, yes, having somebody like that on your side must have been, you know, I was just thinking incredibly fortunate because he must have had such a big personality. Yeah, yeah. he had, and I think he still has. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, for us, he, he could do things that we could only imagine. Like he, he could get us into the enemy. I remember when we were in the enemy on their turn on lists and interviewed and, and uh, suddenly music journalists flew from England to interview us in Go uh, Gothenburg and so on. It, for us, it was amazing. We met all these people. You can suddenly travel around with him. You went to Manchester, dry bar. You could pass the queue uh, because you were with Paul Smith and you were an indie band on his label and so on. Uh, for us, it was like a dream. Yes. So when you yeah. were bringing out your first album, Magic Seed, did that sort of come together quite, I say quite easily, did it all sort of fit together and, and sort of, um, yes, just come out in a way that you were really pleased with? I think we were we were in between those things. As you said, we, we started out when it was really, really indie, and then came this Manchester scene, the baggy style, and we were somewhere in between. And, and uh, we have recorded some tracks in Sweden as demos, and then we recorded them all in London once again, Blackwing Studios uh, uh, with John Fryer. And I think it, yeah, it, it went really well. We were amateurs. We, it was our first album and we went to London to record it. We were nervous, but yeah, we, we were really pleased with it. And as a Swedish, this, I think uh, Magic Seed became some kind of Swedish indie classic. And uh, we had, we, we even had some songs in the British charts as well. Fantastic. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So when with the band, I mean, was it did it feel quite a stable lineup? Because you said you were had been sort of rehearsing quite religiously and committed, even you know, without having a label at those early years. So what were you know? Because the one thing you don't really realise what it is to be suddenly in a band and having things happening. No one's prepared for that moment because I expect in the back of your mind you're thinking it might never happen. So when it does happen. Were, were you prepared for it as, a, as an individual and as, as a sort of collective group? 
uh, in some ways we were prepared to it. Musically, we, we were we were so into it, so it was always a natural progression, progression, and we did everything together. So that was really good, and. Uh, we went from having done about two gigs to doing more than a hundred shows in a year all over Europe. We toured with everyone. We had like Nick Cave, House of Love. We toured England with the Charlatans when, when they were number one in the charts and it, were, it was chaos everywhere. Like girls screaming in Liverpool like we were the Beatles. And we, 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 did, a, we did get a really good reception as well. So you can't actually be prepared for it, but we loved it all the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember we, we played a show in Liverpool at the Academy, I think it was. And uh, it was uh, great. And afterwards, we went back to our van and all like the Swedish people we are, we had left all the passports in this van. <laughs> the door was probably unlocked as well. But of course, the passports and all the money was gone. And we started looking around for the passports. This was this was the old time passports where you can glue the photo into the passport book. And we found them in a dustbin somewhere, thrown in the rain, wet, totally destroyed. But we didn't care because we said, we stole Liverpool's music. Now they have gotten something back. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, the money and the money, everything was gone. But that was okay. Like we paid something back. They got something in return. Yes, absolutely. So when you were sort of, you know, bringing the follow-up to uh, Mag uh, Magic Seed, were you sort of touring both the UK, Europe? Did you ever do America as well? No, we didn't. Our albums were... Uh, Magic Seed was released on Electra Records, and we were actually going to tour uh, the US and Mexico with Inspiral Carpets, but I think they checked us out live, and I th I I've heard that they thought that we were too good as a live act, I think the live bit was our, probably our strongest part as a band. We, I think we were really electric live, and uh, I think Sparacopets were afraid of having us touring with them. So we were thrown off the tour. So oh. we, we didn't tour America. You didn't do it. That's such a shame. Nah, that's a shame. It is yeah. a shame. Because, because you must have, I mean, you had the look, you had the sound, and you were sort of... You know, though you'd been on this label, which had all those kind of quite grungy bands and quite sort of hardcore like Steve Albini, you were obviously there at the beginning of Britpop. So that must have been quite good. So when you did your follow up album, Sun, Sun Years, did that did, did you still feel like you were on, on a musical kind of zeitgeist and journey? It, um, there were a couple of years between the first and the second album. And we, we were still doing it professionally. We, we went to our rehearsal room every day or at least five times a week rehearsing. Sorry, I have to let out one of the cats from the room. <laughs> yeah, we went there and uh, we wrote songs. And I think we thought too hard about it, what we were going to sound like. There, on the second album of Song Years, there are some really good songs and some not so good songs. I think we were we were starting to think about the way we are supposed to sound, and that was a little bit different. We were we recorded everything in Stockholm this time, and we had a really good backing as well because Swedish indie music had started to to 
to get really big around this time, you know. Bands were getting uh, Grammys and so on in Sweden, indie bands. Yeah. Of course, we didn't get one Grammy. <laughs> didn't get a Grammy, but others did. And uh, now I, I think we were a little bit out of time then, suddenly. Right. God, it's a yeah. fickle, it's a fickle world. That's what yeah, I sort yeah. of realised that, that the world of music, because you did have three singles on that album as well. So you must yeah. have, you must have thought this is going to be the one that's going to change it. This is it, and you must have, and also there was at the time, and I was a bit surprised because suddenly, um, yes, you know, Top of the Pops, which you know I was vaguely watching at that stage, but it became a bit more interesting because you had bands like Pulp, and then you had that whole Blur Oasis thing, but you had Ele- um, Elastica and Sleeper, and yeah, yeah. you know. All, all those kind of uh, guitar-based bands who looked a little bit shaggy-haired as well. So so you were slightly an Inspiral Carpet. So, you, you know, I just kind of thinking you must have felt you were so close to the big time then. Yeah, but the thing was, we, we, did, we did this album, did the songs, and some of us have a... We were... Suddenly we were parents, and uh, we were thinking maybe, maybe we have... Oh, Hello. Hello. Yeah, I thought I logged out. Yeah, some of us became parents around this time, and it was like maybe we have done everything we would like to do. So we suddenly start to think maybe we've had enough, and it was more like musically. Maybe we we have gone so far as as we can. Yes. Oh, right. So you, you. It was more like that. So, so when when suddenly the Swedish Swedish music went international, and all our friends went to Japan and became rich and, oh. and famous oh. and so on. Oh, you. you uh, I, did you did you just hear a connection there? Yeah. Can oh. you hear me now? I can. No. Did the cat go and sit on it? Yeah, yeah, he did something, so I had to open the door, and then I touched the button, I think. Okay. I Never do. That's one day yeah. I dread. Yes, that sounds better. Yeah, so so by then the band would begin. So, so, yeah, so when all the when all uh, when all uh, our friends and Swedish bands like the Cardigans and so on, Eggstone went to Japan and became really famous, rich and famous. We were we were at home with our kids. So we were suddenly parents, and some some of us wanted to get an education, started working. And we tried to be like serious grown-ups. That oh. was the thing. So we we missed the best part of the Swedish the Swedish wave, yes. I think, and, and the it, Britpop wave. That that's when all the bands became really big. They did become kid. Did, uh, Rich, yeah. did you feel a bit irritated by Cardigan? No, that they, they they are. They were all born in the same city as us. Young shipping went to the same schools. They're really nice people. Good for them. And <laughs> their manager is is also a friend of ours. So it's that's okay. I think they're t- talented. Yes. Not as good as Easy, of course, but <laughs> but. But it's funny yeah. because a lot of their music appeared on soundtracks to various TV shows in the UK. And I can yeah. remember there was one about a group of lawyers or wannabe lawyers living in London. And I always remember, I think they were always playing a track by the uh, the Cardigans. And there was another one about 
midlife kind of couples having a bit of a crisis and there was you know they'd always put on a you know record and it was often bands like cardigan because they just had a, a they had a beautiful sound didn't they it, it, it sort of like traveled well so to speak because one thing the one thing i've noticed doing this interview uh, doing these interviews most bands have that five-year narrative where you know they do that get together make a sound for a couple of years john peel plays it they get a john peel session which is good the first album that's great second album things were a bit tricky and they at that stage there was still not a lot of money to be had and everyone was feeling a bit poor and fed up. And sometimes that was the end of the band. So what was your kind of narrative? Because then there was a long period of time before um, Green Lights came out. So was there a sort of a period where people had sort of drifted off? Yeah, some some of the band members wanted to do other stuff and some thought about music. So we went on and on. Uh, do doing our thing, but uh, times had changed, and I think I really think uh, we didn't get our fire back until uh, around 2010. Actually, when, when we were uh, uh, someone asked us wanted to make a, a Magic Seed concert. Magic Seed was 20 years old in 2000. Oh, I oh, think oh, I think you just hit a connection again. Yeah. Can you hear me now? I can. Yeah. You can't blame. Can, you can't can, blame. Can, you can't blame uh, the cat. The cat's not no, there. But can you hear the cat? No. I, I yes, I uh, could. I could hear the cat, but the yes. cat. The cat wasn't in the room. It was. Nah, so no. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I have to think a little bit. You you can cut this, can't you? Can I can you? cut that. Yes. I mean, we don't mind. Yeah. But look. So then, what happened then? Because after you know, obviously, you had four years between those three albums: Magic Seed, Sun. Sun years and the green lights. So did you, yeah. and then satellites as well. So did were you all drifting off and then occasionally coming back and then having a complete break? Did you did you ever say this is it? We're not going to do music again in that period, or did you just not sort of turn up so much to rehearsals? To be honest, our our main ambition has always been to write the perfect pop song. So we never had things like we never we never actually talked about money or fame or what other bands did. We did we have never cared about that. That's the thing. We want to write the perfect pop song, and we still do. That's why probably why we're still together. Uh, so for us, I I know that we talked about this in our first interviews as well, and we're still thinking like that when when we were recording in London this year or last year. It was still the same thing. The song has to be perfect. And that's why, probably why we have to keep on going for 50 more years or so. To, to yes. <laughs> so, so, so career stuff and that. We have, uh, that's the thing. We, we have always been so indie. You talk about the careers and, and, and these five-year cycles and so on. We, have, we always said no to everything. I remember some of, the, some of the MTV people really liked Easy around 1991. And they came, we were always in this show 120 minutes. And suddenly one day someone asked us, Would you, we have got this new thing called... Uh, MTV Unplugged, would you like to do that? Hmm, said, do, what does that mean? Now you have to play some uh, acoustic, acoustic versions of your song. Oh, we can't fucking play acoustic guitars on TV. We are an electric, we're, we're an electric band. 
So we said no, but 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 we have Paul McCartney suddenly doing it, and then Eric Clapton came. Which was it was in hindsight, it's really strange. We said no to so many things. We even said no to MTV Unplugged, and this was before Nirvana did their thing. Oh, so, yeah. God. My, my, <laughs> yes, moments you can look back and go. Okay, yeah. we we would have probably said yes. Looking back at that, but did so so as a band, you never sort of had a moment which you thought, oh, actually, I might you know, we might call it a day. It was just the case that you just kept it going. Some, of course, we have had thoughts about calling it a day, and with all these long breaks, it it had have have been like that for us. But uh, I think all of us are thinking about pop songs all the time, writing pop and rock songs, trying to do it our way as good as possible. I don't know why it is that way, but when we're together, we we are aiming for reaching for the stars and we will probably never reach them, but we, we still try to. Well, I mean, it's an amazing thought. God, I was just remembering because the one thing I love a few things but there's I don't know on BBC4 on a Friday night they always have these rock documentaries and um god I suddenly have I have a bit of a brain freeze but I'm sure there was a band in Sweden that they were discussing and a particular producer who or a particular musician who died tragically but god I might have to edit this out as well god I can't it, it might be this Dennis Pop guy who Dennis he, Pop that's it my yeah, god yeah, so yeah, yeah so yeah, so it, and what was the band again that he was or they were part of? Uh, he he was he produced many bands and he was some kind of mentor for all the new Swedish producers who are famous now. You know, all, they are writing songs for all the biggest American artists, and he was some kind of mentor to them. He had a studio and and he died quite young. That's right. They that's it. They were doing this thing about. Sweden yeah, yeah. and producers and writing these perfect songs and then giving them to yeah, people he like learned Max Martin everything and so on. So, and Max Martin, he's he had he has had more number ones in the U.S. than any other songwriter in the last fifteen years or so, I think. Yeah. and he was the mentor for him. That's right. So, yeah. is it is it the case then? I mean, is this something that's in the the DNA of, of the Swedish? you know, creative arts, you know, that you, you just want to um, do it. Maybe, maybe when you say it like that, it might be. I think they are more chart oriented. Oh, like, yes. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not. We, we like to write a song that's different, completely different from everything else. But we're still in this uh, type of music. Uh, you know, it, it, it has to be. Has to have, the songs has they had to have a melody, some nice guitars, drums, bass, but you know some kind of power in them as well. I'm yes. Sure. What yeah. was what was the sort of music scene? Because when I you know like I mean, I'm always been kind of keen, slightly obsessed with people like Lemmy and David Bowie. I mean they were both the same age, and whenever that anyone ever said you know what was your first musical that musical moment that sort of made you think this is what I want to do. It was, they both used to say Little Richard, you know, and then Elvis. But Little Richard was always the person that changed their life. I mean, what was kind of, you know, the music scene like in post-war sort of Sweden? Really strange. There, there was this dance band scene in the 60s, and out of this came ABBA, 
and ABBA weren't they they were really big in Sweden but no one cared for them as they they weren't any cool and so on as they are as they are today but uh, uh, to be honest we never cared for Swedish music yes uh, we, we never talk about Swedish music there has been this serious this autumn in Sweden about Swedish hit songs you know like uh, all the biggest hit songs how do they became world famous hit songs and uh, uh, I was discussing this with a friend of mine and we said that are we are we actually going or oh, sorry I have to take a short break <laughs> uh, uh, we, we were discussing this and uh, and he asked me uh, would you actually pay for a record like this? And I said, no, maybe one or two of them. I think the last one was Robin dancing on my own. Yes. That's a really good song. And I, I know that the uh, Rolling Stone magazine in the US, uh, uh, they named Dancing on My Own the best song of the two for the last 10 years or so. For the decade, Jesus. Yeah, That's the, amazing. yeah. yeah. So well, no, because well, we 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 have never cared about Swedish music. To be honest, it's a shame. But we love British and American music and some some German music as well, of course. But uh, we we've always been into been into, uh, yeah. Yes. So non-Swedish music. Non-Swedish music. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably easier not to. I suppose, and I, perhaps it's for everybody that you know, wherever you grow up, you kind of wish you grew up somewhere else. But you probably would have the same opinion, even if you grew up in that particular city. You know, you think, oh yes, that would be amazing to have been. You know, in I don't know. I mean, I personally wouldn't, but you know, Manchester or San Francisco or New York when when there was a happening scene. But and to be honest, I probably you know wouldn't have been that amazed by it. You know, it's kind of, I think one doesn't appreciate one's own sort of backyard so much as someone else does. And they get, oh, no. you know, so when like we, I'm ba we're based in Norwich. And so mm -hmm. I think when stu people come to the university here, the UEA from around the country, they probably think, oh, this is the most brilliant city in the world. I must admit, it's a nice city, you know. I do get that now. But it's not, it's not, it hasn't that edge of other cities because it's quite small and it's quite, it's just a nice, it's a very nice place. And it's something that often people can't leave Norwich because actually it's quite nice. Often people would come, do three years studying, go somewhere else like London, think, God, I can't survive in London, come back to Norwich because it's kind of a nicer pace of life. So in a way, I, I sort of, with age and, and a certain amount of, I don't know, experience, grown to sort of appreciate the place I live in. But I can see why, you know, you, you could easily not, you could easily dismiss your own neighbourhood. Does that yeah, make sense? It, yeah, it does. Uh... Music was a way out of our neighborhood, I think. We, we wanted out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we have also been lucky that there, there, have, there has been a lot of good Swedish producers. I, I think I, I like Swedish producers better than I like Swedish musicians, actually. But for us, it was... It's typical when when we talked about it last year, what we wanted to do, and that was to record an album in London, and we were talking about British produ producers, and uh, and then the name Pat Collier came up, and he has done so many brilliant indie bands, other stuff as well, of course, but for us it was a great thing to work with Pat Collier in London. That's how how we see it. Yes, well, absolutely, because. 
it was like, I mean, it was quite interesting because you've done quite a few albums quite recently, haven't you, for a, for a yeah. band? Because I know, you know, people like, talking to people like The Primitives or um, who are the, the Wolf, not The Wolfhounds. Perhaps they are. Yes, the Wolfhounds. I mean, occasionally they do bring out an album, but they feel it feels like they disappear for quite a long period of time, and then get back together and think, actually, should we do a few shows and do an album? And they do. But you, you seem to, you know, in the last decade, you know, you brought out. I don't know if it was a, you know, it was like popcorn graffiti, swimming with the beast, and then a heartbeat from eternity, and then you said you just released a new or just recorded a new album as well. Yeah, it will be released in April. Uh, it's called Radical Innocence, and uh, yes. we are yeah, and we're really satisfied uh, with that one. I think all, all artists all artists always say that the latest album is their best one, but for Easy, the last the next one will probably be Radical Innocence, and uh, we have been writing a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, I think for for me personally. Uh, 2010 was a wake-up call. I I didn't do anything musically for around eight, nine years or so. And then suddenly I met this guy in Gothenburg. He's called Bastian Pabst. And he asked me, would you like to write some songs together? And we started doing that. He, he's a brilliant musician. He play, plays everything and so on. We started writing songs. And we came up with this project called Flowers in the Air. And one of our songs, Lost at Sea, was covered by the, the biggest Swede, Swedish artist right now, Håkan Hellström. When he plays live, he plays uh, football stadiums for 65,000 people four times over two weekends and so. That's this, and for Sweden, that's a giant. Yeah. And, and he recorded one of our songs, and that was like a wake-up call for me. Oh, wow writing songs it's it's that's really funny yeah. uh, I, I suddenly i remembered something so and this was around the same time when easy was asked to play a magic seed anniversary show 20 years and we started doing that and after that we have just been playing writing recording and so on and we're getting old but not in our minds yes. we're getting younger and younger every day yeah, well, you must you must think. Look, the Rolling Stones, Iggy Pop, the Blues—they all kept going. <laughs> they kept going into their seventies. Indie bands yeah. could do the same. Because the one, the other thing that's been quite interesting is that there's these little record labels that have appeared. There's there's Fire Station Records. There was um, Turntable uh, Friend Records. Turntable Friend, yeah. Yes, yeah. and 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 I think there's another. There was three that I've sort of. Oh yes, Optic Nerve, which are based yeah. in Preston. So they've been sort of like getting old kind of records that had been sort of like all bands who'd done a few singles, a couple of flexi discs, then they broke up and, and, they, and they're sort of been putting together these compilations. So how did you come across turn, a turntable friend? Uh, uh, during my time here in Germany, I've also published a couple, uh, three books uh, here in Germany with my poems. It's actually a trilogy of poetry, Swimming with the Beasts, on land and in the new ocean. And I've been doing these kind of small tours, reading in Swedish and German and playing some songs as well from the Easy catalog and so on, uh, like small performances. And I, th I think Ulrich at the Turntable Friend heard about this or read about it in the news in a newspaper or a magazine or so 
and he contacted me and asked if we wanted to do you have any new recordings and so on and uh, from from there on we started uh, doing things together and he will be releasing the new album as well wow that is yeah, exciting so, yeah it's really strange because in germany i'm more famous as a poet so when i walk around here in my in my neighborhood oh here comes Der Schwede, the Swedish poet. That's also interesting. So it's like a new career. Brilliant. Well, it's interesting. In Germany as well. So I, so I, I'm a Swede loving English music, recording in England and doing doing poetry in Germany. Nice. Well, it's interesting because yeah. a couple of weeks ago I did an interview with a guy called Martin Newell who had been around from the 70s and he's still playing live. But he, he was in various glam bands in the 70s, lots of solo stuff in the 80s. He called himself the, 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 the what was it, the, uh, the Greatest Living Englishman was one of his albums, which was yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. quite famous. So Martin Newell, that's the man. Yeah. But he, um, he's become, you know, he said the thing that gives him more financial sort of money and we're not talking a lot here is his his poetry and poetry kind of readings you know it's kind of like that kind of will sort of um, sustain him more than the sort of music but you know he does enjoy making music as well but he just realizes that um, that doesn't really pay the bills as much as his other work but he enjoys it because he said if it wasn't for the music he wouldn't have learned his stagecraft and wouldn't have the confidence to have then continued on and started to write you know more poems around you know the word rather than you know po you know lyrics for songs so it, it's kind of interesting how sometimes the creative kind of journey can take you to places you probably didn't ever think you would go no no that that's true it was the same for me the step from writing lyrics for songs is not so big to writing poetry you know when we, when you get older you sit in the garden watching the cats having a pen and then suddenly it becomes poetry I was quite lucky as well because when I when I published my first book in Swedish, my poetry collection, and my second book, I, I did some readings and it went really well. And I was on TV and I got a prize from the Swedish Academy. That's the Nobel Nobel Prize Committee. And then suddenly I became kind of semi-famous for that as well. So excellent, then, yeah, nice. So. I, and then when we moved to Germany, I just went doing on doing the same thing. So, so now nowadays I'm writing. I, I'm quite structured. That's interesting. I, I think I'm turning into a German because I'm structured. I, I I have these hours every morning where when I write poetry, and uh, lyrics and ideas for songs. So it's really good. Wow. I have, uh, yeah, I've been talking about my cats now. I have two of them. And and uh, the small one, I had to, I had to stay out with him in the garden every morning around six o'clock because he he runs away. Otherwise, he runs away. <laughs> and uh, I sit there at the table and yeah, I keep on writing every morning. So so, so just, just so with the cat because I do a similar thing, but our cat just likes me to sit outside on the veranda drinking a coffee but um he's not on a lead is your cat on a lead then i can't have him he hates he hates that so so, so how can he has you, to be in the garden. so being a cat loving person how do you stop him running away is it just the fact that you're there that he won't run away but if you, yeah he if looks you, at me and i say stop and then he stops but if i'm not there he just runs away Blimey. That that's the small one he's really interesting the big one kafka he's 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 totally different 
but the small one is, yeah, they, they are characters as well. We we actually used Kafka on the cover for the new album. So he's the cover star. It's There's a cat on our, the new yeah. easy cover. Nice. Well I, well, I can see why the other cat's probably got a jealousy factor. You know, he probably feels unloved. Yeah, <laughs> no, probably not. I don't think there are many cat owners who spend so much time with a cat as as we do or as I do and get up every morning. He's like, you hear him now, meow, meow. Then he wants to go out. So sometimes I have to go out in the evening as well. But right now it's so dark that I think we'll stay yes. indoors. Well, yeah. I, know, I, I have know. to tell him I'm doing an interview. Yes. So look, <laughs> just last last question then. What would you say to a... Your 18-year-old self, you know, if you were thinking, God, there is a couple of things I've, I've learned along the way on this creative journey that I've done, you know, and you think that's something that I would just tell anybody starting out. And I wish someone had told that, told that to me as well. I think I would say if you love the things you're doing, just keep on going. Nothing can stop you. Just use your imagination and keep on going and you will get there in the end. I have to say, that's a great lyric. I thought you were going to burst into a song there. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you can use it for a song if you want. <laughs> it sounds it sounds something like, you know, an 80s, kind of one of those 80s songs to do, you know, like Europe would have done, you know, or Heart, you know, yeah. Follow Your Dreams or something. I don't know. These Dreams, I think that was it, wasn't it, in the 80s? We had, <laughs> yeah. we had Heart and Europe. They were great sort of, you know, anthemic rocks, you know, slow rock bands, weren't they? Yeah. So there you go. Follow, follow it. That's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, just go for it. Excellent. Well, look, I'm really excited. You've got a new album out, recorded in London last yeah. October. And okay. and so, so oh, yeah, so just like, oh, yeah, so sorry, that was a lie there. Just one question. What then was the song that you think that is the one that I would say was the, the almost pop perfection? You're, you know, like, you know, Motorhead did, you know, Ace of Spades. Abba did Dancing Queen. What would be the song that you think, God, we did it. We, you know, we've almost done it. For us? Yes. I think it's a new one called Day for Night. Right. Well. Yeah, and it, I think it describes being a Swede, uh, thinking about life in general, thinking uh, with guitars. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, well, maybe I should say that once more. Should I do that? It was a bit lame. No. <laughs> no, we'll have to. You know. Well, I suppose the problem is, is like, oh, actually, that's not even out. I can't even go and listen to it. And, and sort yeah, of maybe I can send you a copy. Yes. You... We'll have to have a listen. But that'll be great. You know, because I did. A, I, bizarrely, I did an interview with Fast Eddie from Motorhead. And, and I asked him that question. He said, I just hope you kind of get as lucky as we did with ace of spades you know if you have yeah. an ace if you have an ace of spades in your life it's been all right you know yeah. that is something to take away and something to say you know you're given to the world haven't you ace yeah that's spades. that's great funny that you say ace of, i just listened to, to ace of spades five hours ago the oh. whole album actually and you it's, thought yeah. it's brilliant it is yeah. it, that see i think that is pop rock perfection really so yeah, yeah. They, they they captured it didn't they so beautifully yeah, yeah. of course there you go and just okay what how do you pronounce your whole your surname properly uh johan holmlund holmlund h-o-l-m-l-u-n-d holmlund johan holmlund 
Yeah. Right. So when when I sort of say your name, you'll you'll cring, uh, you'll probably cringe and think mm, that's that's an English not, person. It's not homeland. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! You thought yes, that's what I'm going to say. Actually, it's going to be your new name now from in England. Oh yeah, that Johan Homeland. Yes, mm-hmm. sorry about that. So I'll apo- apologize now for your. Will um... you place? But you will place. I've listened to some of your programs in the last week, and they're really good, really <laughs> interesting interviews. I learned a lot from them. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Yes, I know they're they're quite bizarre, really. But yes. Uh, how, yeah. How do you get in contact with all these people? <laughs> <laughs> I know with great with great enthusiasm. There's a great one actually. There's a guy called. Um, the Bambi Slam one is a really good one. I'll recommend the Bam- Bambi Slam. Uh, he, he, was, he, he, was in, he was in Berlin at the time, so it was quite fascinating. But there's a lot of, from Australia and, and various other places. So uh, everything you ever wanted to know about indie rock. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. But, yeah, but thank you. And I'll tell you when I put it out. And uh, yes. you can always link it. To all your websites and I know yeah of course of course I will shall I send you the new album I, I've got to, I've just got a CDR but I can send it to you so you can listen to it if you yeah, want to that, that would be amazing yeah so yes. um so shall I give you my email or do you want to post it I shouldn't mind you can... I can post it I think okay that's... let's let's that's that's uh, that is old school but that's good okay or I'll... maybe you want it I can mail the songs an email you can yeah. decide I'll, I'll I'll give you my email address and then you can just yeah. do the mp3 gig because yeah because um but yeah because I don't know it might be easier and quicker but I'm looking forward to it and um look this has been amazing thank you ever so much yeah, it's, it's been good. Maybe we can catch up for a beer or something sometime. I know that we will do a show in maybe more than one in England in June, I think. Excellent. That will definitely be a very light period of time, the summer solstice. Yeah, yeah okay. This is good. Yeah. I'll, I'll look forward to that and I'll keep in touch. And, and also, uh, is it UV who's Fire Station Records? Yeah, no, yeah. No, it's, it, it's a, a, a turntable friend. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I said the wrong one, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's age, okay. But it, is yeah. it is it UV from Turntable Friend? Yeah, that's it. Good. Yeah. Okay, look, this has been amazing. Thank you ever so much. Oh, and thank I, you. And I'll keep in touch. And love to the cats. Yeah. And what's what's the name of your cat then? Well, we had two. Sadly, one passed away. Uh, oh. So we've got that was Posh Paws, and the other one was Parker Posey. Ah, cool names. But we're very upset. What was the name of your younger cat? Uh, Shelby. Shelby. He, he's got the same eyes as Thomas Shelby in this TV, T- Peaky Blinders series. Ah, right. Uh, so my daughter named him after him. <laughs> nice. Well, I love cats, so you know yeah. we, we're besotted by them. But, um, yeah, well... I don't know. You you could go out. It, it might be dark, but you know he'll appreciate. Yeah, it. He'll, he'll, yeah of course. Have, have a nice evening. Yeah, you too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.